rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Everybody. Welcome to episode 191 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo. We are heading into the home stretch of my coverage of season three of The Adventures of Superboy, the Salkine produced television show, which ran from 1988 until 1992. And this week I'm covering episodes 19 and 20 of the third season, Werewolf and People vs. Metallo. Obviously, the, the title of the first episode, actually the title of both episodes, kind of giveaway who we're going to be dealing with in these uh, next couple of episodes. So one is Supernatural Foe and the other is Metallo, powered by Kryptonite. And this is the first time we've seen Metallo since the end of season two, probably over a year at this point, since we saw last saw him in Super Menace, the Red Kryptonite episode. And uh, I almost wonder if uh, the show was running out of money when it got to the people versus Metallo and maybe saving some for the finale, because not only is People vs. Metallo a little bit of a clip show with flashbacks to previous episodes, but it's also a bottle episode with the entire episode taking place in the courtroom. At least the part that was filmed this season. So before I get to the coverage of this week's episodes, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvetti. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen Podcast, episode 180. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I have to say that it seemed to take you a while to catch on to the fact that Charlie and Ariana were sea dwellers. The title of the episode was Revenge from the Deep. After all, in that, combined with Charlie's line about being down from down under, but not Australia, seemed to lean pretty heavily into the ocean idea, I thought. Since both Charlie and Ariana seemed to have mystical powers, I wonder if they were somehow intend- intended to be tied, somehow, to the Atlantis of Lord Arion, similar to the name Ariana who was an immortal magician who began appearing in DC Comics, Warlord number 55, March 1982, around the time this episode aired. Maybe someone at DC suggested some sort of loose tie-in to the producers of the TV show. The character of Arion was brand new at the time, and perhaps no one had a strong enough sense of the character to actually bring him into the show. As for The Secret to Superboy, at least this is the last we'll see or hear from Knickknack, which is a blessing. I like your thought that this episode gives a decent enough summary of Season 2, that it probably would have made a good season finale. I look forward to hearing your next episode, Winding Up Season 2. Live long and prosper, Dave. And uh, Dave will make further comments about that in his feedback for next episode when he talks about the uh, end of Season 2. Now, as far as Dave's letter go, I'm not sure if it took me a while to catch on. I mean, just because I mentioned something at some point in the show doesn't mean I'm not catching on. I uh, Sometimes it's just a matter of what I remember to... Uh, put things into my notes. And it's possible that uh, Charlie and Ariana were tied to uh, Lord Arion of Atlantis. It's funny, I thought uh, Arion was around longer than March 1982. I did at one point read a Superman comic with Arion. It must have been a DC Comics Presents issue, but uh, I guess it was after March uh, 1982. 
So I guess Ariana is not as old a creation as I remember. And honestly, it's a, it would be such a loose tie-in that I don't think most people would make the connection. Not everybody is as uh, well-read and looking for connections as Dave is. So I'm not sure how, if you can call it a 10-year-old character, though, or either a nine-year-old character at that time brand new. But I know in 1992, we got a six-issue miniseries entitled Arion the Immortal. So I don't know. Maybe uh, this just seemed a little bit far away for it to be a promotion for Arion. I think Dave might be uh, overreaching with this one, but it's fun to overreach nonetheless. And as for Secrets of Superboy, I really have nothing else to say. Dave didn't have much to say either. I am glad that was the last we heard of Dick Knack. That pretty much was a clip show at the end of season two. Probably another episode designed to save the producers money. I'm not sure what they were saving money for. The finales weren't that great. And it seemed to wrap up the season in a good way. I noted at the end, the kind of the smile and nod to the camera at the end. Seemed like it was intended to be the end of season two, but... For some reason, it wasn't. Despite my issues with Knickknack, I would have had no problem if that was the final episode of season two. So that's all I've got. If you want to send feedback as well, feedback is always welcome. Man of screen at gmail.com. Now uh, I'm going to take a podcast promo break, and I'm going to come back with the first of my two episodes that I'm covering, Werewolf. Hang around, folks. Greetings, podcast listener. My name is Charlie Neymar, and I host a show called Charlie's Geekcast, all about me and what I like, but mostly about what I like. 2020 marks a pretty special year for me. For one thing, I'll be turning 40 this year. But this year also marks 10 years since I started podcasting by talking about Superman's adventures in the Bronze Age. Coincidentally, this year also marks 50 years since Superman entered the Bronze Age. To celebrate all of this, This year I'll be doing a series of episodes called Geeking on Superman in the Bronze Age, where I'll be looking at some great Bronze Age Superman adventures that I didn't get around to the first time around. It's a lot of around. So check out Charlie's Geekcast, part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network at twotruefreaks.com. Also, you can find the show at charliesgeekcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to Start this episode off with Werewolf. Original broadcast date was February 23rd, 1991. This is episode 19 of season 3. Directed by Brian Spicer and written by Toby Martin. Guest cast included Paula Marshall as Christina Riley, Robert Winston as Canaris, Jay Glick as the jeweler, Barry Cutler as Doug, Kephas Matthews as the security guard, Ray Russell as the office guard, and Kelly Aaron as the werewolf. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. A young woman walks through the woods at night with a camcorder until something attacks her and runs away. The next day at the Bureau, Matt and Lana are being chewed out for excessive supply purchases. Both of you, twice the supplies as others. Look at Clark. His name almost never appears on the supply list. He's very careful. He almost never... Excuse me, Mr. Jack. Clark! I was just using you as an example of an organized and conscientious employee. In fact, these are supposed to go to the Bureau's most improved employee, and that is you, Clark. 
pass this to Universal Studios? All right, so it's not a bonus. The guys in public information had a couple left over. Do you want them or not? Sure, thanks. Oh, I almost forgot. There's a woman waiting in reception. She she seems a little upset. I'm not upset. I'm intense. And what is it that's making you intense, Miss... Riley. Miss Riley. A werewolf. Miss Riley, as you can see, we are in a meeting. These are cases, poltergeists, singing bushes, apparitions of various kinds. And these are workers who think that little things like staples and paper clips are little things. What I don't need today is an imaginary werewolf. It's not imaginary. I've got proof on this tape. And he plays it. The tape cuts short, leaving little to be seen. So Jackson is about to dismiss it. Clark uses his vision powers on the video and sees something. So Jackson assigns him to the case. A few days have passed and Clark is still working with Christina, and she believes a man named Canaris was the werewolf. Since there is to be a full moon that night, she suggests going after it. I'm beginning to think this Canaris guy just isn't your werewolf. Clark, it's a process of elimination. Everywhere Canaris has been in the last six months, there's been a killing or a sighting. And only on nights with a full moon. Could be coincidence. Canaris is an expert on the occult. Ghosts, vampires, and werewolves. He's totally obsessed. I know it's him. Well, if it is, our trails run cold. Maybe he's using a different name. Why don't we check the police records for reports of anything suspicious on the nights of the attack? There must be hundreds of police reports. Clark, there's a full moon tonight. They could kill again. Or pass on the curse. What curse? By scratching someone. That's what the legend says anyway. What else does it say? Supposedly, if the werewolf is killed, the curse is lifted from everyone it scratched. You're thinking of killing it. Solid silver. You shouldn't. Clark, it has to be done. Who knows how many people have been affected? Maybe this is just something that Superboy should handle. Except even he may be vulnerable to the curse. They both go to an office building where they try to find a man named Miller. A security guard points him to a man he believes to be Miller, but Christina recognizes him as Canaris. They follow him upstairs to his office, and Christina notices the full moon outside. When Clark looks over his shoulder, Christina is gone. Then, a werewolf bursts out of Canaris' office. Clark spins into Superboy and fights it. He sees that the werewolf tore his cape. Then, as it tries to make another go at him, Superboy blows him back down. The werewolf runs, and after a chase, Superboy x-rays the surrounding rooms and then finds him. Superboy goes to confront the werewolf, and it tries to attack Superboy again. Superboy moves, and the werewolf falls onto a silver dagger, killing it. It then reverts back to Canaris. The next day at the Bureau, Christina returns, but doesn't want to answer any questions about her whereabouts. Lana is being chewed out again by Jackson for using a paperclip instead of a staple. This is exactly what I've been talking about. You used a paperclip when a staple would have been just as effective. A paperclip costs a tenth of a cent, but a staple only costs four ten-thousandths of a cent. Surely you can see that. Of course. What was I thinking? The police found a derelict in an alley last night. His throat was torn out. By this alleged werewolf? Same kind of wound. But it wasn't the werewolf. At least not the one Superboy fought. But why didn't you call? Can't we just forget about it? But I want to know. You know what I think? I think you spend too much time in this place. You need to get out. Come on. 
You're telling me that there were two werewolves out there? Coroner says the derelict was killed two hours after Canaris died. Well, where did this other werewolf come from? And who is it? Jackson here. Oh, thanks for getting back to me so quickly. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Are you absolutely certain? Okay. Thank you. Well? That was my friend from the university. He knew Canaris, and he asked me about Canaris's research assistant. He had an assistant? For the past two years. And her name is Christina Riley. Why didn't she tell us that? She's with Clark. Let's ask her. When they go to Christina for some answers, she is left with Clark. Clark and Christina are taking a drive, and since she's developed trust in him, she's about to tell him something, but changes her mind. Meanwhile, back at the bureau, Jackson is trying to put out an APB with the police, while Lana figures out that Christina's behavior shows that she could be the other werewolf. Of course we checked his apartment. He's driving a beat-up 68 Chevy truck. Green, can't you put out an APB or something? It's very important that he call his office immediately. Why else would she lie? She's hiding something. Like what? Like she's the other werewolf. Come on. No, no, it all fits. Remember when Clark said she disappeared at the office building? That's when she killed the homeless man. And the tape we saw? What about it? The werewolf could have scratched her then. See, she used us to help her find Canaris for her. She was afraid if we knew the truth, we wouldn't help her. She wanted to kill him to lift the curse from herself. And it doesn't matter anymore, right? Isn't the curse supposed to be over now that Canaris is dead? Yeah, according to this book. But this one says nothing can end it, except death. So does this one, and this one. Oh, and there's something else. According to this one. The werewolf tries to kill the one it loves. Clark. Matt gets his gun out of the drawer and tells Lana to meet him at the Universal Studios in Orlando. He goes to a jewelry store to purchase silver bullets. At the Universal Studios diner, Clark and Christina are enjoying each other's company, until Clark brings to her attention that there's a full moon out. She gets nervous, and then she begins to show signs that she's about to change, so she, so she excuses herself. She goes into the ladies' room and hides in a stall, then bursts out fully transformed. The jeweler makes Matt his silver bullet, and he heads to Orlando. At Universal, Lana is trying to warn a skeptical security guard about the werewolf. But you don't understand. Sure I do. There's a werewolf running loose. It's his job. He works here. Him and I go bowling on weekends. No, <laughs> this is a real one. It's... Bowling, huh? When it comes out into the park, terrifying everyone, Clark walks through a revolving door and comes out as Superboy. Superboy takes a part of a gate to protect himself while he tries to confront the werewolf. She rips the gate out of his hand and throws it toward the crowd and Superboy intercepts it. As the werewolf tries to make a getaway down an alley, Lana comes over and tells Superboy that it's Christina. Since she trusts Clark, Superboy goes into the alley and changes back so he can lure her out. Christina! Christina? Christina, it's me, Clark, remember? Remember how I trusted you? 
Now you have to trust me. You have to fight it. no other way. So this episode is one that will put Superboy against his other weaknesses. We're going to run the gantlet of Superboy's weaknesses in this episode's coverage with the supernatural here and kryptonite in the next episode, uh, thanks to Metallo. So this is an episode that I remember. I didn't record this onto videotape for some reason. I don't there was really no rhyme or reason to why I recorded the ones that I did, but those are the ones that I recorded. And Werewolf, while I remembered it. I didn't record it, so we uh, start with an eerie shot of the full moon, and something's howling at it, so if that doesn't give you uh, any idea of what we're chasing, nothing will. It starts with a, a young woman walking through the woods to the camcorder, and she's looking for something, and we're getting a point of view shot of her as something is growling coming at her. The uh, POV is the, uh, we're seeing things from the eyes of the werewolf, and then it kind of changes to almost like a found footage type thing, and... The tape fades out and it gets uh, snowy. Like, uh, for those of us who remember VCRs, uh, when you get to a blank portion of the tape, it just kind of shows that. I don't know how to describe it, but eventually on later VCRs, it'll just become blue. But uh, back in the late 80s and before, it was like, it would come out like snowy, I guess is one way to put it. Almost like the effect of the Will of the Wisp in Test of Time. Something a little bit like that. So anyway, then we get a spoiler of what the creature is. It's the episode title Werewolf floats across the screen in yellow letters. And uh, Jackson is uh, lecturing Lana and Matt about supplies. He wants them to use more staples and less paperclips. He is your typical government bean counter. So here comes uh, our young woman from the opening. Uh, She claims she saw a werewolf, and she gets right into it with Jackson. And uh, before Christina even shows herself to the Bureau staff, Clark comes in and says, yeah, there's this woman here who seems awfully upset. And she basically butts right in and says, no, nah, I'm not upset. I'm intense. And uh, Jackson is unfazed. And as usual, Jackson believes it's a hoax. This is not really something I remember too much uh, specifically about Jackson's character from my time watching the show as a kid. But I am enjoying the recurring character trait of Jackson being uh, disbelieving. So they go up to Jackson's office to watch the tape on the TV that we haven't seen since Matt put it there in the season premiere, but it is still there, and uh, she shows them the tape, and nobody really sees anything because it's so quick, and they pause at just the right moment for Clark to use his vision powers to kind of magnify the screen and see the paw of the werewolf. So Clark says he saw something, and that gets him the assignment. 
It doesn't seem like he intended to have the assignment, or maybe this is just him uh, putting on an act, but the assignment is his. And uh, apparently uh, Clark and Christina are working on the werewolf case for three days, and Matt and Lana are down below in the bullpen kind of pondering whether whether there was some chemistry between uh, Clark and Christina. And Matt makes this comment about Clark's heart belonging to someone else. Now, is it that obvious to everyone else uh, that Clark has a thing for Lana? It's one of those things that just seemed to come right out of left field because Clark really never says anything to uh, anyone else about these things. So anyway, they're not finding anything. Uh, They have a suspect, uh, Canaris, and uh, Clark is saying that the trail is run cold and uh, Christina is not giving up. And now here is Christina, who's going to give us the exposition of the curse of the werewolf. At least the curse of the werewolf as she understands it. Because we're going to find out later in the episode, or at least, that in in this case, the, the curse, what she believes is wrong because Canaris will die and Christina will not be cured. So, she says, that's exactly what she tells them. They change, and if someone is scratched, they change, and the only way to lift the curse is, is to kill them. Clark wants Superboy to handle it, but Christina speculates that even he may be vulnerable to the curse, which, of course, we know he would be. Which was almost an idea that made me wonder whether we were going to get a cursed Superboy, but we don't. Especially since it turned out that uh, the curse is deadly. It's much more dramatic to go the way that they went instead of the few minutes that satisfaction we'd get of Werewolf Superboy. So Clark and Christina are investigating uh, this guy named Miller. And after a discussion with the uh, guard at the booth, Miller shows up. And ordinarily a security guard wouldn't say, there he is. Go ask him. Normally, their job is to kind of protect these guys from uh, people. And I don't recall if Clark flashed any government ID. So the security guard doesn't necessarily know who Clark is or where he came from. So, but as soon as Christina sees Miller, she recognizes him as Canaris. So they follow. Christina is gone. And upon the full moon, Canaris comes out as a werewolf. And the werewolf is not bad for the show's budget. It's not believable by any stretch of the imagination, and but it does the job. At least it does the job on what you'd be watching this episode on on in 1991, probably a 13 or 19 inch square tube television. You're definitely not seeing it in 1080 uh, HD, which will expose every flaw there is. If you watch this show. When it was on, you probably didn't even watch it in 480, which is DVD quality. And then we get an indication that it can harm Superboy because it tears his indestructible cape. So that tells Superboy that this is magic. This could hurt me. So I need to be careful. So we get a bit of a fist fight between Superboy and the wolf. More like uh, them throwing each other around and giving each other backhands. But it does give us this nice shot of Superboy flying down a hallway, which looked pretty good. So the wolf gets away and Superboy finds it with his X-ray vision. Right through the wall, very dramatic. And Superboy avoids the wolf and it falls on the knife. I don't know if he meant to do that or not, but that seemed to be the only way to stop him. And pay close attention. Christina is gone. And even the next day, it was unclear where Christina left as she shows back up at the bureau. Clark asks where she went. She won't answer any any questions. So it's starting to become clear that she's hiding something. And... She seems to be coming on to him even more than she was before. Obviously, you know the werewolf hasn't been dealt with because you're only halfway through the episode. If you were watching this in 
I don't remember what time this show was on, but I still remember it being on during the day on Saturday. Well, either way, if you saw, if this show started at the top of the hour and you saw that it was only a quarter after the hour, you knew there was more to go, so this obviously wasn't the end. And it's becoming clear that Christine is hiding something, like I said. So we now we go back to the uh, Jackson uh, Bean County paperclip complaining hour. I don't know why he's bitching about paperclip versus the staples. Obviously, staples are cheaper. But you can reuse paper clips. Just saying. So Mac comes in uh, reporting a derelict had his throat ripped out with a werewolf claw. So that, hmm, werewolf claw. Not done by the werewolf that we were fighting. Or, or that Superboy was, for that matter. So apparently that puts the thought in everybody's head that there is a second werewolf. And then if you add that to Christina being evasive, and then you learn that Christina was Canaris' assistant for two years. Hmm. I don't know if I want to say there was closest between Christina and Canaris, but definitely contact. And then suddenly Clark and Christina are gone. And we find out that they are on the road toward the climax of this week's episode. And uh, they're in Clark's beat up old car. And she's about to open up to him about something, but then abruptly changes her mind because something doesn't matter anymore. She thinks if, that the curse has been lifted. That's why she's a little bit more willing to date Clark. At this point. So Lana does all that math about Christina and Canaris and werewolves and disappearing. And puts it together that Christina was the other werewolf. And now Matt has found uh, conflicting stories about lifting the curse. One book says killing the uh, the first werewolf will lift the curse from the ones that it scratched. But other sources say nothing can end it except for death. So it's possible that Christina is cursed. And another book says the werewolf kills the one it loves. And apparently in their three days working together, or maybe four days at this point, Christina has fallen in love with Clark. And earlier in the episode, Clark received Universal Studios tickets from Jackson for being the Bureau's most improved employee. Mention that word, employee. So do, are they working there now? Interns are not employees. And even though when they're in the car talking to each other and Clark is giving Christina his riveting life story, he says he, and he does say he, Signed up to be an intern at the Bureau. But, you know, internships can turn into employment. It's not unheard of. So they're on their way to Universal. Clark got the tickets from Jackson while in front of Lana. And Lana now notices that the tickets are no longer where Clark left them. I mean, obviously, they could have four days have passed. They could have moved it, been moved in that time. But, you know, of course, they haven't been. The only reason they've moved is because Clark went to Universal now. Not because he just put them in his wallet or something. So Lana's like, I know where they went. So Clark being Clark is acting shook up by the earthquake ride and mentions the full moon and Christina starts to show worry. And I think she's wondering if the curse really has been lifted. And then she notices something going wrong with her hand and says she's not feeling well to excuse herself. You know, you're in a diner at Universal Studios, which may or may not have just opened around this time. So I'm thinking that's kind of the reason for featuring it in this episode. Kind of give to give it some uh, publicity. Yeah, it was recent. At that point, it had been open in less than a year. So, Christina is in the bathroom changing to a werewolf. Uh, Matt has stopped at a jeweler to uh, get something silver to uh, stop the werewolf. And uh, Christina emerges from the we bathroom stall as the female version of the werewolf. And uh, Clark was worried and asked for this uh, female security uh, guard to check on her. And in a funny bit of the jewelers, uh, Matt had uh, this guy make a... One silver bullet, but it didn't take the cross. He's not—he's fighting a werewolf, not a vampire. 
So Lana is talking to uh, the security guard, and he's thinking of uh, the Universal Monster, and uh, says, yeah, the guy in the costume goes bowling every Saturday. And, uh, you know, the werewolf is a Universal mo- the Wolfman, one of the Universal Monsters, so it's not un- wouldn't be unheard of to see him floating around Universal Studios. And then he sees the real thing and freaks the hell out. So now Superboy is fighting his second werewolf. He does not recognize uh, Christina's outfit, even though it's uh, somewhat shredded. But it's, it's black, so he should have, you know, recognized it. As, but I guess he's not at the point where he's realizing that Christina is cursed. So after a brief scuffle, Lana tells Superboy who the werewolf is, and that gives him an idea. He changes back to Clark and tries to talk her down. He's doing his best to save her life and get the curse lifted. And this is the first time that Clark is involved in the climax. And then, of course, a crowd of people comes up to watch and... Clark is trying to win the wolf's trust and to get Christina to fight it. Clark notices the crowd, and I think what Clark is doing may have had a chance if the crowd didn't show up. I think the crowd spooked the werewolf and caused it to attack, which, in a last-minute rescue, Matt shoots her dead. It's a good thing he's a good shot because he only had one bullet, and Clark is mournful as the episode comes to a close. But Matt's right. There was no other way. She went after Canaris because she believed killing him would lift her own curse, and it didn't. She had no other option to remove the curse of the werewolf. And obviously she's never mentioned again, so Clark just has to accept this and move on to the next episode. And uh, this was a good episode. It's basically Superboy versus the werewolf. Interesting connection that in these two episodes that I'm talking about, Superboy gets saved by someone else in both episodes, which is an interesting dynamic and probably a coincidence that these two particular episodes are packed to back, especially since uh, they aired over a month apart. So, a very good episode. I like the connection to Clark that gave the werewolf story an end and a dimension, and I like how he tried to solve the problem as Clark. I just wonder what would have happened if the crowd hadn't assembled, but in a situation like that, how could a crowd not assemble? So, I don't have anything else to say on that one. Decent episode about a supernatural character, which... Putting Superboy up against Supernatural can get old after a while, but I like the way they presented the idea of a werewolf here. Now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and when I come back, I'm going to finish things off with The People versus Metallo. Hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You start lead officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with People vs. Metallo. Episode 20 of Season 3, original broadcast date was April 6, 1991, about 
like I said, about a month and a half later, directed by Richard J. Lewis and written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast included Michael Callan as John Corbin, Janice Benson as the judge, Tim Powell as Nichols, Paul Brown as Professor Schwartz, and uh, that's in archive footage, Kurt Smiltzen as the doctor in archive footage, Jim McDonald as General Swan, that was from Super Menace, Barry Mazurkis as scientist number one, and Harry J. Walesco from as scientist number two. They were in archive footage from Super Menace as well. Doreen Chalmers as the older woman. Joan Hawkins as Greta. Rick Wrights as Sloan, Metallo's defense attorney. And Greg Paul Myers as Gunther. Raymond Rodriguez Jr. as the reporter. Gregory Vigil as the newspaper writer. Michelle Sacco as the court reporter. And Russell Sandlin Sr. as the juror. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. While two lawyers in a filled courtroom argue about the crimes committed by Metallo, a man posing as a doctor comes in claiming he has oxygen for him. As Metallo gets in his quote-unquote oxygen tank, Superboy is called to the stand as a witness. Now that he's on the stand, Metallo opens the tank, releasing radiation from a chunk of kryptonite. Superboy, unaware of what is happening, becomes dizzy and disoriented. Metallo inserts the rock into his heart chamber and is re-energized, while a group of people throughout the courtroom, draw weapons to help cover his escape. On his way out, he unleashes some radiation at full power to keep Superboy from stopping him. Then, instead of escaping, Metallo decides to stay and prove to the people that Superboy is the real criminal between them. You know, these good people have been told lies about me. You're lucky they don't know the truth. Now let's get out of here. The truth? <laughs> the truth is their hero isn't who they think he is. Are you? I'm the one you want. Let these people go. (laughs) Let them go. These people are here to see justice done, right? That's what I'm going to give them. Now, there are two sides to every story. And I'm going to show you the other side of this one. So you settle in, folks. And you listen good. Because at the end... There's going to be a quiz. Which one of us is guilty? Me or Superboy? And who's going to pay the price? I was just an ordinary guy when something very strange happened. I made it through the wreck, but it wasn't too long before I wished I hadn't. He tells his story about his car crash and being transformed into Metallo. He then bends the truth when he tells about helping the authorities catch Superboy while he was under the influence of red kryptonite, and then playing the victim when Superboy proposed teaming up, only to have his kryptonite turned red and rendered useless in the end. He says Superboy tricked him into a life of crime. Although this accusation isn't true, Superboy does confirm that the events in Metallo's story are true. Metallo passes his own sentence and then pours on some more kryptonite radiation, with Lana and the rest of the courtroom unable to help Superboy. To stop the kryptonite assault, Lana stands and says, Wait! Wait? Why? Isn't he allowed to have someone defend him? I don't know. Is he? Damn. Okay, whatever. 
Go ahead. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I want to do what's right. That's the kind of guy I'm. Go ahead. Defend him. Me? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me like he's twisted the facts in his favor. He's left out key elements in his story to make himself seem like the good guy. Lana tells the real story of Corbett's accident before he became Metallo, to include killing both the doctor and the scientist that saved his life. Most people would have been grateful to be alive. His concern was whether or not he could kill Superboy. Just curious. Curious? Hey, whatever. What about all the stuff that Superboy did? I am getting to that. You wanted justice, right? More than anything. Nobody could have foreseen the effects that Red Kryptonite had on Superboy. No one. It was unpredictable. Well, thank you for your efforts. Think nothing of it, Super. Guess I don't know my own strength. Superboy, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. What are you doing? What I should have been doing all along. Letting the world know who's in charge. It's exactly like I said. Even she admits it. It wasn't his fault. He wasn't in his right mind. What am I, to picture mental health? So far, I don't think I see a single difference between him and me. Oh, there's a difference, all right. One you carefully ignored. You think I could ever team up with a loser like you? <laughs> Once you're out of the way, nothing can stand in my way. Nothing! Superboy, don't. We can help you. No, we can't. Do it. Kill him. What are you, a coward? Don't back down now, Superboy. Just one punch, and he's finished. Kill him. I... I can't. Oh, I... I goaded him to make him realize he couldn't kill. That is the difference between you and Superboy. He can't kill. It's not in him. Metallo maintains his plea of innocence and makes his case to the jury. All right, all right, shut up. You've had your say. Now, it's my turn. Look, I know this is very unusual, the guns and stuff I mean. But it's, it's very important to me that you people see, see my side and realize that I'm not really a bad guy. I've just been led astray by people like her and Superboy. You see, someone like me probably shouldn't expect good people like you to understand, but, but I'm hoping that you can look past this, this rough Tin Man-like exterior and, 
And seated, I'm just a regular Joe who wants a little justice. So, <clears throat> what's it gonna be, huh? Am I guilty or a superboy? Am I gonna pay the price or is he? What's it gonna be, Grandma? Stop it! Please, do what he wants. Don't put yourselves in danger. <laughs> See, he's practically admitting he's guilty. Hey, how tough can this be? Lana then talks to the jury, outlining the instances when Superboy helped others. Are you gonna let Superboy die to save yourselves? Are you? Remember the time he put out that fire in the rest home? Remember? Or the time he stopped that building from collapsing? Or when he saved those kids in the school bus? Or how about the last time he fought Metallo? He could have been killed. But he did it anyway. He sacrificed himself for us. And now he needs us. But it's not about that. It's more than that. It's about principles. The principles that he's always fought for. And the principles we're supposed to believe in. The principles that this very courtroom was built to uphold. Metallo's assistants are warning him that they should leave, but he ignores it. Then, he forces the jury to choose. Either he's guilty or Superboy. An old lady stands up and tells him he's guilty, and everyone else follows suit. Everyone begins to try and attack Metallo, but he throws them aside. When he punches a woman, it's the last straw for the old lady. She admonishes him, backing him against the bench. Lana removes the kryptonite as the old lady takes it away. Later. Thanks for coming to my rescue, Counselor. Figured I owned you one. Or two. <laughs> So, like I mentioned in the opening, this episode is a bottle show. The entire thing is set in the courtroom. Very few sets. Interesting, though, that for a bottle show, they used, like, a different set. The courtroom said normally when, it, when a show wants to save money, it will use one of its existing sets, like the Bureau. Although, I guess they don't want to be stuck in the Bureau all the time. They already did a bottle episode stuck in the Bureau. Uh, well, it's mostly a bottle episode, uh, Mindscape, which... So Superboy lying on the table the whole time. And in next week's coverage, we're going to have Standoff, which takes place in a restaurant for the entire episode. So I guess that's what they have to do in order to save money for big episodes like Rebirth and Roads Not Taken and for Road to Hell and some of the other stuff they spent quite a bit of money on. And I guess you can't do all your bottle episodes in uh, the Bureau. It's not like Star Trek where... All your bottle episodes are are, stuck, are pretty much just on the Enterprise, which you can get away with if you have a compelling enough story. All right, so we're like I mentioned, we're in court. Metallo's on trial. They're trying to put Metallo in jail for his crimes. I guess it's taken this long for him to get to court. Metallo's not looking well, uh, kind of sick. I guess that's because 
his kryptonite power source is not in his chest at the moment. And another doctor comes in with what he says is oxygen, but we know that it's not. Especially once Metallo gets the canister, he starts smiling. So that's the first indication that uh, he's up to something. And uh, here is Superboy uh, testifying in court. Apparently, he doesn't have to give his name when he testifies. Uh, I guess Superboy is fine. Which is good because he doesn't want to tell anybody that he's Clark Kent. And he doesn't know his name is Kal-El either. So, Metallo will pull the kryptonite out of the oxygen tank. And uh, this doesn't seem to be such a great idea in the middle of a courtroom. Just as uh, Metallo's attorney asks if you how you could consider Metallo dangerous in that state, he puts the kryptonite back inside himself and, and comes back to full alertness and tries to kill Superboy. Well, that's how you consider Metallo dangerous. And just because somebody is sickly now doesn't mean they weren't dangerous at an earlier time. So here he is committing a capital crime in the middle of the courtroom trying to kill Superboy. And he's blaming Superboy for his life of crime. And yeah, of course he is. It's always somebody else's fault with some with some of these guys. And and Metallo has already assaulted a few people during uh, all of this. So his actions and what he's trying to convince people of don't seem to go hand in hand. So we get a flashback to season two where Corbin has his heart attack while driving. This is, of course, after he knocked over an armored truck, so he's not as innocent as he's making himself appear. Uh, we get a flashback to Metallo's origin, and since this is Metallo's first appearance in Super Menace, I guess a recap is okay. And then now we flash back to Super Menace, where Superboy is under the influence of Red Kryptonite. Metallo's fabrication is that Metallo was the hero, but the events of Super Menace are true. So like in Rebirth, where, Mail, where Miles lie was planted inside a truth, Metallo was doing the same thing here. Most of these flashbacks of Super Menace, and when he was under the influence of Red Kryptonite, this is where Metallo says Superboy tricked him into a life of crime and then tried to kill him. Superboy can't refute these details because it's true, and people are shocked, and now Metallo is turning up the Kryptonite and uh, killing Superboy. And then Lana stands up and... I knew this was coming as the camera was focusing on her as this was happening. And Lana is going to intervene here and basically be Superboy's defense attorney. She's kind of surprised when Metallo picks her to do it. But you know what? You open your mouth, you get the job. That's the way Clark got the werewolf case in the previous episode. So Metallo pushes the judge out of the way. He should have left her. He's really more of a prosecutor than anything else. But I guess he wants to be the judge as well. So now we're back to Metallo's origin and the killing of the doctor who saved him from his heart attack before the crash. I'm not sure how Lana would know about this, but Metallo calls killing the doctor a weak moment. Yeah, grabbing a scalpel and stabbing somebody with it is something you do when you're quote-unquote weak. So that shows that Metallo was a criminal even before he killed the doctor. And even as early as Metallo, he referred to Superboy as the one who started this, so he's blaming him even then. And now Lana is referring to Red Kryptonite, and she calls it unpredictable and that it changes uh, personality. And I like how she referred to as uh, him as unpredictable, because Red Kryptonite is unpredictable. Back in the Silver Age, it had multiple effects on him. One chunk would, would affect him one way, another chunk would affect him another, and it went on and on. Dave Beckelvani knows the Red Kryptonite rules. So now we get a flashback to uh, Lana's... Uh, reverse psychology moment back in Super Menace, her egging him on to kill him, and he didn't because he can't kill. And she actually justifies her goading him into killing Metallo to prove that Superboy can't kill, which, of course, he didn't. He backed down, and uh, 
hand the metallo over to the to the authorities. At which point, now he shoves Lana out of the way and he's talking to the jury. Committing assault is probably not the best way to uh, convince the jury of your innocence, but this is the method we're going with. And I just love the wide-eyed looks on these people. They are scared to death of Metallo. And rightly so, he can snap and kill them all at a moment's notice. And Superboy is urging the jury to save themselves because Superboy will not suffer anyone getting hurt for him. He wants them to get out of here alive. So he, by his calculation, the best way to do that is for them to give him up. And Lana takes the opposite approach, reminding the jury of Superboy's sacrifices and the one he's making right now and egging them on to do the right thing. And Lana is doing a good job getting her point across. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've seen activist Lana. You know, we saw her a lot in the first season, not so much in the second and third, but she is definitely an activist for Superboy here. And the jury comes out against Metallo, and he responds by beating on everyone. Did you really expect anything else? And this old lady is really going after Corbin. She does not back down. And he doesn't fight back against her. And I really liked the old lady standing up to him. You know, that was good. And I just liked seeing the people come to Superboy's rescue, just as Lana suggested. They owed him, and that's the kind of goodwill that he inspires. I'm not sure you'd see this story today. You know, if nothing else, Superboy or Superman should inspire others to do good and to be at their best. And at this moment, all these jurors, despite the threat to themselves, are at their best because of the example that Superboy set. And that's the character right there. Doing right because it's right and inspiring others to do it because it's the right thing to do, regardless of the effect it has upon yourself. That was a great episode. I like how this show shows the strength that Superboy has instilled in, into the people. And like I said, if he can bring that out in people, that's the best thing that he can contribute to anyone. So next time, we're going to get some split personality action with Jackson and Hyde. And then Superboy and Lex Luthor will have a heart-to-heart in mind games. Till then, want to leave feedback? It's always welcome. Man the screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show shook them up. You also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.